Welcome to Another Day in History, and it's the 196th day of the year 2021. But measured by who? Perhaps it is time to throw in the towel on keeping up with the calendar as we know it, and beginning a new system designed to make it easier to keep track of. If not, then we'll have to settle for the occasional ordering of cents in this newsletter and podcast called Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, and it's time for another show that expands the format of what this program seeks to do. On today's show, the executive director of the Lewis and Clark Exploratory Center talks about the sudden acquisition of a statue, a look at upcoming county fairs in the area, and a look at upcoming meetings to talk about transit in Albemarle and Charlottesville. And Virginia experiences a record surplus. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, with the summer heat in full swing, your local energy nonprofit, Leap, wants you and yours to keep cool. Leap offers free home weatherization to income and age-qualifying residents. If you're age 60 or older, or have an annual household income of less than $74,950, you may qualify for a free energy assessment and home energy improvements such as insulation and air sealing. Sign up today to lower your energy bills, increase comfort, and reduce energy waste at home. When the pandemic forced the shutdown of many sectors of the economy in the spring of 2020, many predicted tough times for government budgets. However, the Commonwealth of Virginia closed fiscal year 2021 with a $2.6 billion surplus, the highest in history. Even with the slowdown, budget officials expected revenues to be about 2.7% over fiscal year 2020, but total revenue collections were 14.5% over that year. The details will be released on August 19th at a meeting of the General Assembly's Joint Money Committee, but preliminary information is available in a release that's in the newsletter. Though slightly outside of our area, the Fauquier County Fair began yesterday in Warrenton. The event is being held for the first time since 2018, having been cancelled by the pandemic last year and by construction in 2019 of a sports complex at the site. The fair takes place through Sunday on grounds off of Old Auburn Road in Warrenton. There's a rodeo on Friday night. Learn more in an article on Fauquier now, or take a look at the Fauquier County Fair website. The Madison County Fair also kicked off yesterday through Sunday. We've missed the donkey races, but the Lumberjack Show of Champions is on for Friday night. The Louisa County Agricultural Fair begins on July 29th. The Augusta County Fair begins on July 27th. The Albemarle County Fair is a stripped-down event this year that begins on July 30th at James Monroe's Highland. Here's a notice from the fair's website. This year, the 2021 Albemarle County Fair will focus slowly on the exhibition and sale of livestock. A group of medical professionals at the University of Virginia's Hospital for Youth is opening a food pantry this month at the Battle Building on West Main Street. According to a release from what's now known as UVA Children's, the pantry builds on a partnership last November with the local food hub's Fresh Pharmacy program that provided produce to pediatric patients and their families. 
An internal team put together a program to start the pantry and secured a three-year grant from Molina Healthcare, as well as donations from Kroger. This Friday, riders of Charlottesville Area Transit will get the first of two chances to weigh in on proposed route changes that are intended to help boost ridership. A community meeting begins at noon to hear from representatives of CAT and the consultants Kimley Horn and the Kinetics Group to give public feedback on the new routes, which will extend bus service to Mill Creek. A second meeting will be held next Wednesday. But what about people in parts of Albemarle that don't have bus service? The Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission has hired consultants to study ways to expand routes into urban sections of Albemarle, particularly on US-29 north of Charlottesville, Pantops, and to Monticello. Two virtual meetings are scheduled later this month to get feedback from people with a focus on US-29 north on July 26th and a focus on Pantops on July 28th. Those two meetings are being held through Microsoft Teams, so you might have to install that first. And now the main segment of today. On Saturday, July 10th, 2021, Crews hired by the city of Charlottesville swiftly removed two statues honoring two Confederate generals from two city parks. A few days before, council had authorized spending up to $1 million for their removal, but a provision in that resolution cleared the way for some of that money to be used for the removal of the Lewis, Clark, and Sacagawea statue that stood at the intersection of West Main Street and Ridge Street since 1919. The Lewis and Clark expedition to the West began in 1803, shortly after the Louisiana Purchase by President Thomas Jefferson. Just after 11.30 a.m. on Saturday, the city's communications office put out a notice that council would meet in an emergency session at noon. Here's Charlottesville Mayor Nakaya Walker. Thank you all for um, coming on short notice. We um, are trying to just maximize... um, the opportunity that we have with the crew being in town and taking care of just the legal issue of um, being able to move the, um, the statue on Main Street. To do so, council had to adopt a motion waiving a requirement that at least five hours notice be given before an emergency meeting. City manager Chip Boyles said there had been no plan to remove the Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea statue, but there was an unforeseen opportunity to proceed because the Confederate sculptures were removed quicker than anticipated. The tremendous work by the city staff, the construction crews, and by our community support have given the city an opportunity to finalize an interest that was provided by council on November 15th of 2019 and then funded by council on July 7th of 2021. Council has been clear in their interest to relocate the Sacagawea Lewis and Clark statue from West Main Street to another location that's either owned or co-owned by the city. Such a location is Darden Tau Park, which is co-owned by Albemarle and Charlottesville. Along the banks of the Rivanna River is the Lewis and Clark Exploratory Center, which is run by Executive Director Alexandria Searles, who was contacted shortly before the emergency meeting. The item on the agenda was simply to relocate the statue and not to transfer ownership. That will have to happen at a later date. Searles said the center will not take the statue without provisions. It would be my hope to 
eventually, if you decided to give us ownership of the statue to actually have provisions agreed to first about the type of interpretation, because under my leadership, interpretation agreed with, with the Native Americans of Virginia and with the Shoshone is highly important. And I would want to ensure that for the future, regardless of whether I'm there or not. Searles said she would want to work with the Native American Student Union at the University of Virginia on those interpretation efforts, as well as receiving interpretations from others, particularly from Sacagawea's own tribe. The Shoshone, um, the, the way that they would like the statue to be interpreted is of paramount importance. Indigenous women are going missing on um, to, in alarming to alarming extent that faces and people are disappearing. And so one of the things that the statue in a way interprets is moving beyond sort of the white person fixation on Sacagawea and the way they contextualize there to a larger view of people who are living today and how they are represented. Rose Abrahamson is the great-great-great-niece of Sacagawea, and she offered to counsel her support for the statue's transition to the Lewis and Clark Exploratory Center. She had the chance to speak just after the vote. Mayor, um, counselors, city, I like to say that we have come a long ways. We have come a long ways to become the human tribe that we should be and come together in uh, unity and come together to educate our young and our future generations. Abrahamson said the statue's new location at the Lewis and Clark Center would not be offensive, and a depiction of her ancestor that she personally finds offensive can be used to address a contemporary crisis. It can educate um, the public to the missing murdered Indigenous women, the plight of women in our society, uh, the Native women. Within two hours of the vote, the city shut down the intersection of West Main, Ridge, and McIntyre by driving public work trucks into strategic positions. That allowed the same crew to come in and remove the bronze sculpture from its granite plinth. At 2.31 p.m., a crane lifted the sculpture into the air, eliciting cheers from the assembled crowd. The sculpture was placed on a flatbed truck and taken straight to Dardentau Park, where Alexandria Searles was waiting to let the crew in to drop off the sculpture. It has been placed temporarily on a square of wooden beams behind an orange mesh fence. In February, the city had sent out a request for information for groups interested in receiving the statue, and the Lewis and Clark was just one of nine groups that fulfilled that request. I spoke to Searles inside the Lewis and Clark Center on Monday about the process that got the statue there and what comes next. We were founded right before the bicentennial, and we teach the skills of exploration as well as the local and national history of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Can you just describe where we're sitting? We are sitting along the banks of the Ravana River, and we are right underneath the Southwest Mountains, 
as well as near the birthplace of George Rogers Clark. The land that we're on was once very important to the Monacan nation as part of a whole interconnected group of villages along the Ravana, or what we call the Ravana. We don't know their name for the river. Later, this was owned by Jonathan Clark, who was the grandfather of William Clark. Now, it's been almost a year and a half since the city council decided to vote to remove the statue. Um, At that time, was there any interest of it coming over here? There was interest in it coming over here, but we didn't want to lobby for a certain outcome because we felt that it was owned by the community and we wanted to value what the community decision was. So we made it clear that we were open to receiving it if that ended up being the decision. I sent a letter to council at that point saying, we're, if you move it, we are open to receiving it. Well, let's go back to that because it's because it seemed a bit intractable. Um, I think it was last year when the when the when the council said yet again we would like to see proposals. Can you just talk a little bit about so, you know, obviously it's here now, but before it was here, like, can you just give a sense of what are some of the planning things that you need to do just to anticipate the possibility of it coming here? That's an interesting question because it wouldn't be here right now if I hadn't done more work than the RFI asked for. So the County of Albemarle has been a wonderful partner to us. Like, and the park people here are amazing. It, this park is run so well. And when we answered the call for the RFI, I was taking it very seriously. I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't promising something that the county wasn't going to like. And I wanted to research and, and do everything from how we were going to afford somebody to move it to um, what the site plan requirements are. And I got started on this, and it, it was I was writing a proposal, basically. I, I talked to the engineer who prepared at, at the ready to be moved. And so I had the figures, I had all the, they, they, it turned out they didn't even want to know the figures. So when I said I'm getting the permission of the Board of Supervisors through this, I was told, this RFI is not supposed to be detailed. You're supposed to write one page proposal and then if we like it, we'll ask you to make a long one. I am really glad I didn't listen to that because I basically said, you know, Elmore County is my partner. I'm not even going to put in an idea for a proposal without them. I had, before the day of the emergency meeting, approached um, City Hall, not the councilors, but City Hall, to be an option for that. Because with so little money that we have, I, I knew that this might be the only opportunity um, to have it here at least for a while. And we used it today in an educational program for the first time, so that was exciting. On the other hand, I, I also started researching the statue. And through a genealogist, I located the grandchildren of the sculptor. Who was the sculptor? The sculptor was Charles Keck. He also did the Jackson that was removed. He, he did both of those. and. I was preparing, if we were to get, receive the statue, to do a complete um, 
evaluation of what the interpretation would be. So I also consulted art historians. I also you know, talked to indigenous um, historians. I have begun to read books written about Lewis and Clark in the early 1900s to get an idea of the mindsets of the time when it was created. And when was it created? Is it, was it created for a specific purpose? So that's an interesting story because it was created as a commission, but they only commissioned Lewis and Clark. They did not commission Sacagawea. And so basically the sculptor decided to add her. And that is significant from what I found out from the family because he was a sculptor who took any commission who went, that went his way because he had lost an amazing amount of money in one of the crashes. He owed his best friend who bailed him out about $100,000. And that, and that time, I mean, it's a lot now, and, but it was even more then. So he wasn't in the position to be discriminant and could no longer do the sculptures, sculptures that he wanted to do. So basically, she was the only sculpture that he did that he wanted to do. And I haven't sorted that through completely, but it was just one aspect of what I wanted to know about the situation. So one of the critiques of the statue uh -huh. for many years has been that uh, Sacagawea is cowering. Uh, others say that she's searching. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't know the statue that well, but is that part of the interpretation process? Yes. And, and I've got to say here that I am not finished coming up with my own reactions to this statue. But let me back up by saying that there's an interesting phenomenon going on, and it's the phenomenon that when something is up, that that means it's endorsed. And that is not part of my belief at all. I, I think a statue whose original intent and I'm not really talking specifically about Lewis and Clark, I'm talking about all statues, was one thing, like to glorify a hero that might not be deserving of glory or to reveal the power of the ruler, ruling class. Um, just because you leave it up doesn't mean you agree with it. For example, when I look at that Lewis and Clark statue, even though it's meant to glorify them as heroes, I do not think that they were um, flawless heroes by any means. In fact, a lot of what we do here is examine their failings, actually. W what do you think? Well, I mean, I, I'm still just trying to figure it out because it's, uh, because it's interesting because, you know, like in the sense of this, if you look at the three statues that were taken down on Saturday, mm -hmm. two of them are in an undisclosed location and may never, ever see the light of day. We don't know yet, but at least with this one, it will have a new life potentially here, especially if you can get some funding to uh, do the do, to do the proper interpretation and to install it in some way that maybe you haven't figured out yet. But at least it's here. But at least there's a sense of well, at least we're not going to melt it down, as one of the descendants said on Saturday. One phrase that's actually I think of a lot, not just in this term, not just on these issues, but in general, is in war. 
treat your victories like a funeral. And to me, that means if you're in a war, someone is dying. And even if you win, you shouldn't rejoice because it's better not to demonize your opponent. It, it's better to look at them and with some empathy of their dead or of their situation. And, you know, it's better if not to immediately assume that someone who wants to melt down a statue resembles the Taliban. Maybe they don't. Or it's better not to think that someone who wants the statue to stay in place is a racist, because maybe they aren't. I get reasons and, and viewpoints. I receive emails, calls. You know, I've listened. And I think that it's dangerous on so many levels to rejoice in the face of the people who are crying because every victory anybody has, somebody is crying. So my effort here is to find a way of compromise, even if that might not be possible, but at least to find a way to respect different viewpoints and to let people come to new viewpoints. It's important to realize when you have your dead that other people have theirs. For example, when if somebody looks at that statue and only sees an heroic Lewis and Clark and doesn't see the trail of tears that followed soon afterwards, that's celebrating something without crying for the other side. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and an interview with Alexandria Searles of the Lewis and Clark Exploratory Center. We'll be back to that in just a moment. In today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, the Rivanna Conservation Alliance is looking for a few good volunteers to help out on Clean Stream Tuesdays, a mile-and-a-half paddle and cleanup to remove trash and debris from popular stretches of the Rivanna River. Trash bags, trash pickers, gloves, and hand sanitizer and wipes will be provided, though volunteers will need to transport themselves to and from the endpoints. Kayaks for the purpose can be rented from the Rivanna River Company. Visit the Rivanna Conservation Alliance's volunteer page to learn more about upcoming dates at rivannariver.org. And now back to the interview with Alexandria Searles of the Lewis and Clark Exploratory Center. The Lewis, Clark, and Sacagawea statue is now on the grounds of the center inside of Dardentau Park, which is jointly owned by Albemarle and Charlottesville. Searles said the statue is very different close up than from where it stood for 102 years, and there's a bit of a mystery. You know, I still haven't decided if the three people or four people in the statue. I can see the fourth person perhaps now that I can get close to it. So... Um, when the Shoshone were here, we talked about the terrible plight of missing indigenous women. And since she 
Sacagawea is somewhat missing in terms of when you look at that composition, she's like down there and then they're, you know, taking up space with their guns. The ultimate in, in sort of disappearing is actually disappearing and never being seen again. And that's what's happening to young women today. And so in terms of, you know, white Americans revering Sacagawea at different points, because she helped them, because you know she was seen as friendly to, you know, white explorers. But really, what I would like to see in in terms of indigenous representation is really seeing the people of today. And so, one of the women um, who came, Dustina Abramson, she had suggested that the statue could be used as some sort of a starting point like for people making new art and people making people see the people who are disappearing. And I've been following her Facebook page since they visited in 2019 and I've seen you know, a relative of hers go missing and then I've seen other challenges that happen in indigenous communities. So I think we need to move beyond these handful of icons that we've put up like you know and move into like the thousands of native people who are actually here what can this center do to sort of i mean because obviously like the whole point is to draw awareness of this of this past but yet not to say it was this way it was that way people who visit here what do you want them to take away and is there some you know and do you need the statue to do this or is this something that well well I don't think we were my my staff and I were talking about this today. I don't think we need anything um, except the woods, the river, and this and the built you know a place to rest in between. Our programs are very oral. Like we we get get all of this knowledge and we we study and we interpret it and and we talk to people basically. You know, you don't see any signs here telling you what to think about anything. I arrived in Charlottesville on the Greyhound bus or trailways or whatever it was back then with my duffel bag to be first year at UVA. You know, I came out of that door with my duffel and there were taxis and there was that statue. And I, um, I had been, I went to high school in New York City and I wasn't impressed with the statue. All I saw were a bunch of guns and I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that it would become part of my life. <laughs> and I didn't even see her. I just saw two men. I didn't know what it was whatsoever. Let's go back to what I said about, are there three people or four in that sculpture? You know, you know at first I only thought there were two when I first arrived in Charlottesville. So one of the preeminent art historians, uh, Malcolm Bell from UVA, said that there were four people in that, in that sculpture and that she was holding a baby and that there's a cradle board and that the baby's in there. And I didn't see it. And even though he's famous with books, I was willing to think that he wasn't right. <laughs> and then when I encountered the sculpture over there, I saw that he's very possibly right. And it puts a new spin on it because when you get close, you can see that William, um, 
William Clark's hand and hers are touching on a long piece of wood. And they're both holding it up. You can see a sack in there, and you can see more of an extension of something in the back. She's sitting on some rocks, and he's helping her carry that as she is leaning forward. And they're meant to be on the cliffs looking at the Pacific. And so she's looking down at the ocean, and William Clark is looking just ahead, and then Meriwether Lewis on top is looking the far distance. And that's definitely a hierarchy. I mean, it's like Lewis is preeminent, William Clark, and then, you know, the woman in, in the way that she is. But it does matter to me whether she's holding a baby or not. And he's helping her hold whatever it is. So I haven't asked Professor Bell you know, what the documentation of this is because I know that the sculptor did not take notes of any extent. Now, he did have a collection of books, so I think the answer is also in what he would have read about Lewis and Clark back then. And I read a book written in 1905 about Sacagawea, and she never let her baby out of her sight. She was always carrying that baby. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion now that there are four people in that statue. I'm not 100% sure, I'm, I, but I say this too to say that I'm not exactly sure what's going on in that statue. I know he wanted to honor her. I know he wasn't trying to degrade her, and that is important to me. If, he, if I felt like he had tried, I, I would not have wanted that here. Mm -hmm. And there are people, I'm sure, who do think that, that was his goal. So it's only been here for two days as we're talking. Mm -hmm. Now it's here. Uh, you still have the interpretive work to do. You're not finished in the work that would that you thought you were going to have to do to get it here. Mm -hmm. Suddenly it's here. How do you feel? I feel excited. I mean, it, it is it is pretty amazing to see these huge statue, these huge faces being pulled up the hill. Like I was waiting at the gate. I let them in at the gate. It took hours. I, they told me it would be 20 minutes. I was there for hours. So I open the gate and then the a cortege comes through like a flatbed, a trailer, a, you know, a crane and about 30 cars with lights. I mean, it was huge. And then to see them all go up the hill and to see those faces going towards the center was pretty amazing. You know, I wasn't at the removal of the Confederate statues, but they seemed to be moving backwards with their rears. <laughs> so it was, you know, without, it was sort of more, we're riding out of town, where this felt like they were arriving, and it, it was pretty amazing. You said you were excited about this. What are some of the possibilities now? I think that some of the possibilities is that if you're showing something that is painful to some other people, it requires some work together. And I do think that out of this will come some more partnerships with Native Americans about indigenous representation. And I think that we'll all be more aware. 
And the park guy said that a woman this morning came and put a sign up by the, briefly by the statue that says this is native land. And she took a picture of the statue with it and then left. But, you know, we teach that this was native land. We teach about the Monacans and we, you know, we regularly every two years are invited to different tribes out west as part of being in, in a Lewis and Clark group. So I, I think that the focus will be even more on that. And I certainly, I am learning much more. I mean, I just, I'm reading Jeff Hantman's book, um, Monacan Millennium, right now. And I'm, you know, reading more about Sacagawea and the attitudes that have been about her throughout this, you know, the, the decades. So I think it will make those realities more of the story, not less. You said that you, you used it today in the camp. Yes. How so? Well, when the kids came, they're 8 to 11, we all walked over there. And actually, I invited their parents, too, because, you know, I think it's a camp that's about history and it's about exploration. And it's actually historic when a 100-year-old monument moves. So I wanted them to be part of that history and the, the first group. And I basically said, is there a baby there? That was Alexandria Searles, the director of the Lewis and Clark Exploratory Center, which will hold on to the statue for now until its final disposition is decided. It might stay at Dardentau Park, it could go someplace else. This is history, welcome to it. And that's it for this edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. A little bit different with a big chunk of an interview there. Uh, this is something I've been wanting to do for quite a while, and I really do appreciate your willingness to allow me to bend format every now and then when I feel the need to do so. Uh, the interviews do take a lot longer to produce than uh, the newscast generally, but if you like these, I will do more of them. Uh, I'm hoping to interview a lot more people. I actually bought special equipment in order to do that, they're called microphones. And uh, the Patreon subscribers, if you donate through Patreon, that's the kind of thing that you're helping to support. The Patreon is really for uh, to purchase equipment and to basically pay for things here and there. And of course, uh, I do try to keep people up to date on what's uh, going on. So do consider a Patreon subscription if you'd like to hear more of those. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, and I will be back tomorrow with another installment of this show. I really do hope that you got something out of this and that you'll share it with other people and, uh, you know, keep trying to help us all grow the audience. Uh, thanks very much. Stay cool out there on another hot day. And, uh, you know, um, thanks for listening and stay safe. <laughs>